But if you brought a Bible, go with me, please, to the Gospel according to Mark. Second book of the New Testament. And if you don't have a Bible, you can look for it on your digital device there or read with us on the screen. Gospel according to Mark, chapter 3. Praise God. I want to thank the Lord for safe travels. I was out of the out of the country for a little bit. It, or isn't really out of the country, but anytime I leave Texas, I feel like I'm out of the country. Um, I had to go to Nevada for a little while. I left Thursday morning, arrived back last night, and uh, had my first visit to Las Vegas. Uh, can't tell you anything about it because you know the code, right? <laughs> Uh, you know, old uh, Sin City, I didn't know what I was going to be uh, witnessing. But you know, what I realized is that Las Vegas is like any other place in the world. Just like Beeville, in fact. Anywhere where there's people who need Jesus uh, is a good place to work for God. And uh, I had the privilege of being able to receive uh, a new uh, church along with Bishop Longoria into our church fellowship and so we uh, now have a sister church in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, praise God for that. And I got the opportunity to share the word of the Lord with them. But I had to come home. There's no place like home. And uh, I thank God for this house and what he's doing among us. Mark chapter 3. Let's begin at verse 13. It says, And he went up on the mountain and said, uh, and summoned those who he himself wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve so they would go, though they would be with him, and that he could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out the demons. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you this morning for the presence of the Holy Spirit which is among us. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to breathe the air of a new day. And of a new year. And I thank you as well for the opportunity that we had this morning to be in the house of prayer. I ask now that you would anoint my lips of clay to preach the word of the living God. That you would anoint the hearing of this congregation. That in hearing the word they might receive it with faith and joyful hearts. We ask that in Jesus' name. And the church said amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. I want to use as a subject simply this morning walking with Jesus. And I want to talk to you for a few minutes about the great joy and privilege that it is to walk with God. Now, those of you who have been walking with the Lord for any number of years or maybe even a short while know that there is no place in the world, no relationship in the world like walking with God. There is a great Joy in knowing that a man, a woman, can know God and can walk with Him. And today we uh, read a little glimpse into the life of Jesus and His disciples. And we see that He chose out of the world 12 men who would become uh, those who would walk with Him. And who would literally change and transform the Roman Empire and make an impact for God as has never been seen in the history of the world. 
And as we look at their life and their experience, I want to draw from this text just a few things about the text. So if you keep your Bible open, there are some things I want you to underline as uh, they will be an agenda for us in this, uh, in this year and in this message of understanding how what it is to walk with God. I encourage you, if you are just now beginning your Christian walk, that you persevere until the end. It gets better and better as the days go by. Can anybody say amen to that? They sang an old song when I was a little boy. They say, it gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. And that is true of anyone who has experienced the relationship with God. That walking with Him nearer and sweeter every day is the experience of our life. Now, the Bible says here that he took them up to a high mountain. I just want you to underline that little word there, that he took them up, because that's the first thing that we note when we begin to walk with Jesus, is that the call of God is an upward call. When God calls a man, a woman, a young man, a young lady, he'll never leave them where he finds them. He'll always take them up. He always takes them. The Bible says we go from glory to ever-increasing glory. The path of God for your life is an upward path. It is a call toward greater things, toward higher heights, toward places that perhaps you never dreamed of or imagined. And wherever God found you, friend, you can rest assured that when you are done, He will not leave you where He found you. Some of you he found in the depths of depression and discouragement. But today you know the heights of joy and peace because the call of God is an upward call. Some of you he found bound by drugs and and alcohol. He found you bound in the chains of darkness. But today you know the heights of freedom that can be found in the name and power of Jesus because the call of God is an upward call. I don't need to say much this morning. I think you have a testimony in your heart of what God has done. Can you say amen this morning if you know what I'm talking about? Some of you he found in the doldrums of religion and and he found you in in the bondage of routine and tradition but he brought you and I to a place of, of heights where the anointing flows, where grace is manifest where the spirit is alive with power in our hearts oh the glorious upward call of God, the apostle Paul said I press on toward the prize to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus Now, this doesn't mean that there will never be difficulties in your life, that there will never be any valleys in your life. It doesn't mean that there will never be moments of challenge in your life. But what it does mean is that every one of those moments of difficulty lead us higher to a place of greater perspective, a greater understanding, a a place of greater grace and greater revelation because God has made a commitment to us to draw us up to where he is. In fact, the Apostle Paul says that we have been seated with Christ in heavenly places. When you read about Moses... When he came to moments of decision in his life, 
He was the leader of the nation of Israel. And they were a cranky bunch of people. Not at all like Kingsway Church. You know, Moses would have loved to pastor this church, but he had to pastor Israel. Too bad, so sad, Moses. These are my people. You can't have them. They're the sweetest in all the world, but Moses had a cranky bunch of church members. And they would, they would prevail against him, and he would get uh, anxious and stressful. And what would he do? He would climb the mountain of God. He would go up higher with when things got hotter down there, he went up higher with God. Can I tell you, friend, when things get hot in your life, go up. Press on toward the mark of the high calling of God. Press on to that place of communion and fellowship with God. When Elijah, the great prophet of fire, came under fire by the queen of Israel, Jezebel. She said, I am going to do to you what you did to my false prophets. And Elijah became depressed and discouraged. But what did he do? In the midst of his depression and discouragement, he went up to the mountain called Oreb. He went to the mountain of God. And there that man of God, as he followed the upward call, went on to find that God was able to meet him in the place of his discouragement and depression. Can I tell you this morning, there is no depth out of which God cannot pull you. There is no pit out of which he cannot rescue you. There is no valley out of which he cannot deliver your life. He has called us to an upward call. And then, I love the next phrase. It says that he summoned those who he himself wanted. He summoned those to himself that he wanted. He chose these men. Can I tell you this morning that you and I have been chosen by God? Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I have chosen you. You know, the Bible talks a lot about adoption. Our relationship to God is not like that of an employee and an employer. That's called religion. Our relationship with God is not one in which we're trying to please a, a master, but rather the Christian's relationship with God is that of a person, a, a boy or girl, who has been adopted into a new family. That's what it means to be a Christian, to be adopted. And now we can call God our father because of the adoption that has taken place. You know, when you think about adoption, it's, it's a very unique uh, experience uh, because when a man and woman have children biologically, they don't get to choose their kids. Let the parents say amen. You know, you didn't get to choose the kids that you got. They're all yours, but you didn't get to choose them. But when someone is adopted, they are the, the result of a choice made by those parents. They are the result of a mom and dad who decided to choose this boy, that girl, and they brought them into their home as an act of their will, as an act of their choice. So it is with God that he chose us as an act of his will. He didn't have to choose us. He didn't have to select us. He didn't have to save us, but he chose us. He set his divine affection upon us. I don't know if you know that this morning, but God has made you the object of his divine affection. And he has chosen you. He has set his hand upon you. And I'll tell you this, friend, you can run but you can't hide. When the hand of God is upon your life, when you've been chosen by God, there's no place you can go to get away from his love, to get away from his, from his hand because he has made a choice. 
He has set his affection upon you. I like to sing the old, uh, the old song that says, He didn't have to bless me, but he did. He didn't have to save me, but he did. He didn't have to choose me, but he did. He saved me out of sin and error because of a divine act of God's will. He chose me. You know, here's the thing about choice. Is that he says, you didn't choose me. If we had chosen him, then we might reject him at any moment. We might give up in this journey of faith. But the fact that he chose us means that he is never going to change his mind. I don't care how bad it is in your life. I don't care how far you've fallen. Maybe you have backslidden in your behavior against God. But can I tell you, God has not changed his mind about you. God loves you with an everlasting love. And he is committed to saving and restoring your life. Somebody ought to give God praise for the fact that he has not changed his mind about you. Some days I think, Lord, you probably changed your mind about me. Maybe I think, God, you should have chosen somebody else. But when he sets his affection upon you, it is a seal that cannot be moved by sin or shame or error or darkness. So long as you will walk in faith and obedience to him and receive his perfect gift of of salvation, you will have his love and enjoy his peace in your life. He chose those who he himself Wanted. Look at the next phrase. It says that they might be with him. Underline that, with him. You see, that tells me something about the character of Jesus. That he has called us not to serve him only, but to walk with him. There is a place of relationship that God wants with you and I, and that place is that you and I would be with him. To be with him implies a place of communion with God, a place of fellowship with God. It is a a place where you and I can get to know God. I don't know if you knew that this morning, but you can know God. You can know God's voice. You can know the presence of God. You can know the voice of God as he speaks to your heart. He wants you to know him. But this place of of fellowship and communion can only be known by those who have made an end of their sin by giving their life to Jesus Christ. By making a commitment of their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. When a man or woman comes to Jesus, they must come with that understanding that they cannot save themselves. You know, the Bible tells a story of a man named Zacchaeus. Now, I'm not a man of very great stature, but I think Zacchaeus was even shorter than I am. The Bible said that he was a man of short stature, and Jesus came into Jericho, the place where Zacchaeus lived. Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and he was a very rich man. He had extorted a great deal of money from the people. And, uh, and was a, a not very well regarded in his community. But he heard that Jesus was coming through town. And the Bible said that because of the crowd and his short stature, he couldn't see Jesus. So he ran ahead of the road where Jesus was walking and he climbed up into a tree. 
And you can just imagine this, this man, a rich man, a, a wealthy man, a man of influence, a man of authority, a man who was not very well regarded, and he's up in a tree, and he just wants to get a glimpse of Jesus. You know, friends, some of you came to church this morning because you just want to get a glimpse of Jesus. You heard about this, this place called Kingsway Church. Maybe somebody invited you, and you might have just come to see what this uh, is all about. What is all of this talk about Jesus about? Well, friend, when Jesus walked past that tree, he stopped and he looked right up at Zacchaeus and he said, hurry down from there because I have to go to your house today. You see, he had come to see Jesus, but Jesus had more in mind for him than that. He wanted him to know him. He wanted him to have fellowship with him. And so he says to you today, come down off of that tree. You better hurry. Why should you hurry? Because the time is short. Why should you hurry? Because the cause is great. Jesus says, hurry down from there. Hurry down from your perch of pride and come down and have fellowship with me. Today I must go to your house. Oh, I pray this morning that you can hear the voice of the Savior saying to you, today I must go to your house. I must go to your house and I must, I must come into your heart. I want you to know me and I want to know you. You see, friend, Jesus wants you to walk with him. The Bible said that he went to the house of Zacchaeus. People were all upset about it because here was Jesus eating with a man who was not well regarded in the community. And yet, when he said, when he arrived with Zacchaeus, he said to him, Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to your house. Change has come to your house. You see, friends, when you have fellowship with Jesus, change will come to your life. I believe it is impossible to know God and not change. It is impossible to walk with Jesus and not become like him. I wish I could get some help in the house of God this morning. But when you walk with him, you become like him. Someone said to me, Pastor, I gave my life to Christ, but nothing changed. Friend, I don't think you're saved if nothing changed. You can know better, have a relationship with God and nothing changed, and you can walk out in front of a moving train and nothing change. If you walk in front of a train, everything's going to change. God is mightier than a train. And if you come in contact with his life and power, he will change you. He will transform your life. Come on, I'm talking about a God that is able to change a man, a woman, to convert the soul. Zacchaeus was so converted, so changed by the ministry of Jesus. Listen, you know the man has changed. You know someone's changed when their money changes. He said to Jesus, I'm going to give away half of what I owe to the poor. That's when you know something has happened in a man's heart. And then he said, and if I have defrauded anyone, I'm going to pay back Four times what I took. Can I tell you, friend, that you can't have an encounter with Jesus and not be changed. He will radically transform your life. You may have tried everything the world can offer. Nothing can change you. But Jesus Christ can change your life. Jesus Christ can save your soul. Jesus Christ can make the difference and will make it. He wants to know you, to walk with you. He wants you to walk with him. 
We read about this fellowship that can be had with God in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 20. Jesus, listen to this very ironic picture. Jesus is standing outside of the door of the church. He's the shepherd of the church. He's the savior of the church. And yet, where is he? Let's try that again. Where is he? Outside the door of the church. What does this tell me? It tells me that the door had been shut to Christ. The very church that he came and died for has closed the door to him. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, you see, he is calling to you this morning. He's standing outside of the door of your heart. And he says, if any man will hear my voice and come unto me, if you will answer to the call of Christ, he says, I'll come into your heart and I will convert you. I'll save you. I'll change you. I'll make you a new man or a new woman. If any man hears my voice, I, I believe this morning that some of you are hearing the voice of God. You hear and you sense the call of God upon your soul. You say, how does this preacher know what I'm, what I'm living? I don't know, friend, but the Holy Spirit does. And he's calling to you today. And he's saying, this is a day of decision. The Lord is standing at the door of your heart. And I say, friend, you had better answer the door because there's another one standing at the door of your heart. The book of Genesis says that the Lord told Cain, sin is, is crouching at the door. There is a devourer ready, ready like a tiger to destroy your soul. You must open the door to Christ because Christ alone can save. Christ alone can set you free. And Christ alone can heal your soul. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, how do you open the door to your heart? You just say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I have sinned against you. I need your, your saving grace in my life. He'll come in. Listen to what he says. I will come into him and have supper with him. I love supper. But I especially love supper with Jesus. Oh, he said, I will come in. And he didn't say, I will scold him. He didn't say, I will come in and remind him of his past and rehearse his errors. No, friend. He said, I will come into him and have supper with him and he with me. This is the invitation that Jesus makes to you today. He says, come, I want to have fellowship with you. The morning of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Two of the disciples were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, a small village about seven miles from Jerusalem or so. That weekend had been a very intense weekend because on Friday, Jesus Christ, who was believed to have been the Messiah, had been crucified. By 9 a.m. he was on the cross. By 3 p.m. he was dead. Before 6 p.m. he was buried in a borrowed tomb. And so ended the hopes of many who thought this would be the savior and deliverer of Israel from under the Roman oppression. They, they were walking home because the festivities had ended and now there was a great cloud over their minds. 
On Sunday morning, Jesus, who was dead, was raised to life. And as these two disciples were walking down that road, Jesus appeared and started walking with them. They didn't know who he was. They didn't recognize that they were walking in the presence of Jesus. And Jesus, he, you know, he asked them a question. I just want you to be very cautious. When God asks you a question, he's not looking for information. Jesus said, what are you talking about? What's going on? And they said, where have you been, man? You've been under a rock. Haven't you? Are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know what has happened? This weekend, the Messiah, Jesus, who we thought was the Messiah, was crucified. And early this morning, there's a rumor that he is raised from the dead. And oh, they walked home, but they weren't walking alone. They were walking with Jesus. I don't know if you've ever been in a morning like that, a morning of confusion and, and, and difficulty, a morning when you've gotten some bad news and, and there's a, a, a bitter sweetness in the air. Maybe you have been through moments of, uh, of trial when you have heard from a doctor or a lawyer or someone in your, in your life that has given you a report that, was, that you didn't want to hear. Can I tell you, friend, that in those dark moments, Jesus is walking with his church. Jesus is walking with you. You'll never walk alone when you're walking with Jesus. The Bible said that as they walked with him, he opened up the scriptures to them. And beginning with Moses, he taught them about all that the prophets had said concerning the Messiah. And now they were intrigued by this man as they walked with him and he taught them. And he opened up to them the scriptures he revealed to them the great mystery of the Old Testament, that the Son of God must come and die. And then they finally arrived at Emmaus. And when they arrived at Emmaus, I imagine it's like you and I sometimes at the end of church when you're not quite ready to go home. When the presence of God has been so rich and you just don't want to leave the presence of the Lord. Oh, they said to him, stay a little while, please stay a little while, come and dine with us. I imagine Jesus was thinking, that's exactly what I had on my mind. I want to dine with you. I want to have fellowship with you. And they came into the house and they sat at the table. And, and Jesus, the Bible says, he took the bread. And whether it was at that moment that when he took the bread and he broke it, as we broke it this morning, they saw perhaps the scars in his hands. And they, the Bible said that the blindness was removed from their eyes and they realized that they were in the very presence of the risen son of God that they were in the presence of Jesus the Messiah the one who was and is and is to come and then he disappeared from their sight they said did not our hearts burn within us oh friends there is no walk in life like walking with Jesus to know him and to be near him. Are you walking with him this morning? Are you walking in sweet communion with God? 1 John chapter 1 verse 3 says we have fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You know that you and I can enjoy fellowship with God through the simple act of prayer. When you and I bow our heads and pray, 
We are entering into fellowship with God. Why do you think the enemy fights your prayer life? Why do you think he wants to keep you out of the prayer closet? You say, prayer closet, what's that, pastor? It's a war room, you know, the movie. It's a place of communion with God. And the enemy would have you stay out of there because he doesn't want you to be in that place of sweet fellowship with the Lord. But you know, Ezekiel tells us in Ezekiel 22, verse 30, the Lord said, I sought a man who would stand before me, but I found no one. God said, I looked for someone who would spend time with me, but no one was available. No one would make time to commune with God. Oh, Beville, can I tell you this morning that if anyone will pray, let it be you and I. If anyone will stand before God, let it be you and I. If God is looking for a man to stand in the gap of prayer, let that be you and I. Let us be a people of prayer. A people who will walk in communion with God. On Wednesday afternoons, we have our prayer meeting here at the church. And how I would love to see all of you at 6 o'clock prayer meeting on Wednesday evening. Say amen. amen. One afternoon, we had a, a gentleman praying uh, who was uh, assigned to pray for the lost. That was uh, the assignment for that afternoon. And he has not been in the, in the Lord's uh, family for very long. He's, he was converted only a, about a year and a half ago or so. And he began to pray. And, and often when, I, when we're in a prayer meeting, I'm back here praying. But I get distracted because I like to hear people pray. I'm an eavesdropper. I, I confess. I like to hear how other people talk to God. And he was praying and he said, God. He said, one day someone stood in this place and prayed that I would be saved. He said, and now here I am, and I am praying that yet more will be saved. Oh, friend, that is the joy and privilege of talking with God to know that somebody was praying for you and that you can pray for someone else. Stay a little while, Lord. Fellowship with us. One of my favorite missionaries is David Livingston who changed a great part of Africa because of the gospel message that he preached. David Livingston became an old man on the mission field, and in his last days they had to carry him in a stretcher to preach. On one of the last occasions of his preaching, he came home, they carried him in a stretcher through the jungle, they brought him to his house, and, and they were going to lay him in his bed, and he said, you know, I don't I want to lay down just yet, I need to kneel down and pray. They said, Brother Livingston, you're very frail and weak. You need to, to rest. He said, I need to pray. They knelt him down beside his bed, and they sensed the holiness of that moment as that great missionary saint of God began to pray. So they left the room and closed the door behind them, and several minutes passed, perhaps an hour, and they thought, surely now he's ready to rest when they came into the room, they discovered that David Livingston had walked out of this life into the next in the very presence of God. 
The missionary died not on his deathbed, but on his prayer chamber. He died in a place of communion with God. Oh, I think of Enoch this morning, who the Bible says Enoch walked with God, and he was not because God took him. You and I can live that life every day, that life completely enraptured in the presence of God. He called them who he himself wanted that he might be with them. And so that he could send them to preach. He had a purpose for them. He had an objective. And that objective is still the same today, friend. You and I have been called by God to a greater cause than just breathing God's air. Say amen, somebody. Amen. The American a Christian today is completely consumed in the world and its affairs. We have lost sight of the great evangelistic mandate that Christ placed on the church. He gave us one instruction. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. So he called them that he might give them a commission to preach. You this morning and I have been commissioned by God to be a witness of his grace to tell somebody that he is able to save to bring the grace of God to the lost to be a light in the midst of darkness and while the church sits idle souls perish without God and without hope Kingsway Church 2017 must be our year of evangelistic enterprise this must be a year in which we leave no stone unturned in search for a soul in need of God. This must be a year when an army rises up out of the ashes of the mundane and usual life and says, let my life count for God and let my life count for eternity. Is there anyone this morning who will say, oh God, let my life count. Who will say, God, I want to be useful to your service. Job, the book of Job asks the question, Job 22 verse 2, will a man be profitable to God? Will you and I be profitable to God in this year? Will we live our life in such a way as to make a difference in the life of someone else? Will we invest our money and our time and our treasure and our talent in such a way as it will make an eternal difference in the life of someone else? You and I must be about our Father's business. We must be consistent in our, in our desire to see the lost saved and brought to Christ. I have given my whole life to the preaching ministry. And I know not everybody here has been called to preach in a pulpit. In fact, most people have not been called to preach in a pulpit. But your life is a sermon nevertheless. And you must make a decision about what you will do with your life. When I was seven years old, I preached my first sermon in a pulpit. And uh, the way it happened was kind of uh, humorous. My dad was an evangelist and he... Uh, was ha holding a revival in, in El Campo, Texas, south of Houston. And Friday night of the revival, they took him out to eat. 
you know, the way that the people take out the evangelists to eat. And, uh, and the, the pastor just told them all of the bad things that were happening in the church and all about the evil deacons that were in there. And, uh, and then on Saturday, the deacons took him out to eat. And the deacons told my dad about all the wickedness of the pastor and how terrible the pastor was. And he realized that this church was about to split. I thank God each day we have a healthy church. Hallelujah. But you know, he didn't know what he was going to preach on Sunday morning. Do you favor the deacons? Do you favor the pastor? You always favor the pastor. I'm just kidding. And on the way to church, he said, I think in jest, he said, Isaac, you're going to preach this morning. Well, I had been uh, preaching as a little boy. I started preaching on the, on the back of my, uh, great, uh, my grandfather's flatbed trailers out on the farm. And I would preach to the wind and to the cows. You wonder why I shout? Because I preach to the wind. And, and I, I, was, I, I would get on, at times uh, a spirit of John the Baptist on me. And I would stand on a little coffee table my parents had. And I would preach to them. And I would say, repent, you generation of vipers. And flee from the wrath to come. And so I know this morning my parents are in heaven because they had John the Baptist to raise. He said, you're going to preach this morning. He was joking, I think, but I took him seriously. I got to the church and I went and I found the place in my Bible where I, where I was going to preach. And the service began and the songs and the singing and so on. And then my dad got up to the pulpit and he said, open your Bibles. And he gave a text. And I said, wait a minute. He's about to preach. And I went up to the, to the pulpit and I tugged on his coat jacket, on the, on the uh, sleeve of his jacket. And I said, dad, I'm supposed to preach. I'm just thinking, if you do that to me today, I'll sit you down. <laughs> but he looked down, and I think he sensed the moment that God was moving, and he gave me the microphone, and I had my Bible open, and I read that passage of Scripture out of 1 Samuel 17, where David spoke to Goliath, Israel's enemy, and he said, you come unto me with a spear and a sword, but I have come to you in the name of the Lord God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And as I began to preach, it was no more than a five-minute message. I'm sorry, you'll never get that again. And, uh, and the, the, the Word of God somehow moved upon that church. And before I knew it, there was a big burly deacon running down the center aisle. He fell on his knees in repentance before the living God. And God rescued that church that morning because somebody, not a scholar, but a little boy said, I have to preach. I've got to tell what I know. Come on, somebody. You and I have to preach there is a message that you and I must tell the world my brothers and I are the fourth generation of preachers in our family my great grandfather our great grandfather on my mother's side was called by God to preach and he said no Now, by this, I don't mean this is how God works in everyone, but when he said no, he lost his eyesight. And he went on several months, perhaps years, blind. 
One day he told my grandfather, his son, he said, son, I need to preach. God has called me to preach and I must preach. He said, take me to a street corner if you must, but I need to preach. My grandfather found a small church in West Texas where there was a midweek service going on and he arranged for him to be able to preach that Wednesday night and my great-grandfather preached his sermon and as they were driving home that night, my grandfather told me the story that as they drove home, suddenly he heard his father, my great-grandfather, cry out, I can see! And I remember the, the tears in my grandfather's eyes as he told me the story of how his father received his sight the very night he, yes, he said yes to Christ, to the call of God on his life. He said the presence of God filled that truck. We pulled over and acknowledged that God had done a miraculous work. For four generations, my family has known this very simple task has fallen upon us. As it has fallen upon the entire church in all of the world. We must be about our Father's business. For He called us whom He Himself wanted. And He wanted us to be with Him that we might be sent out to do his work, to be about our Father's task. I want to invite you this morning to make a decision for Christ. If you have not given your life to Christ, friend, you may walk with a thousand friends and walk alone. Jesus is the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. His voice is sweeter and the greatest love. His hands are kinder than the gentlest hands. His intentions are purer and higher than any man's highest thoughts. And he says to you this morning, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And I have drawn you. You're not here by accident. You're here because the great magnet of God's grace has drawn you in by the gravitational pull of divine love. And today he says, hurry down from there. I must come into your heart. Today is a day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. And so if today you hear his voice, it's not a booming voice coming out of a canyon. It's not a, 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 the voice of a, of a great Charlton Heston speaking over the clouds. It is the simple, still, small tugging of the Holy Spirit saying he's talking to you. Say yes to Christ. Bible said that there are multitudes in the valley of decision. Multitudes and multitudes in the valley of decision. Perhaps you are in the valley of decision today with the great multitudes of men and women, past, present, and future, who have to make a decision. And perhaps today 
you have sensed the tug of God in your heart and you know that you know this is my day of decision. Friend, I tell you, don't put it off another moment, not another minute. If you hear his voice today, don't harden your heart. Don't delay. Say yes to Christ. Because only Christ can save. Scripture says, call upon me for I am God. And there is no other. Would you stand with me please this morning? Bow your heads in prayer if you would. If you're a believer, would you bow your head in prayer and just ask God to touch someone's heart this morning. Almighty God, I thank you. I thank you for your son Jesus. I thank you for the cross that he bore for my sin. I thank you for the shame that he took for me. I ask you now to speak clearly and undeniably to the hearts of men and women and young men and young ladies. Today who have not made a commitment of their life to you. And I ask you to bring conviction of sin to their heart. I ask you to bring a mighty conversion of their life. Not for my sake or for theirs. But that your name might be glorified. That Christ might be made famous in the city of Beville. For this we pray, and on this we depend, O oh God.